Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first six verses of Matthew chapter 1. We're not going to be staying in uh, that passage. We'll come back to it from time to time. But I need to give you a little heads up. You know, we just put the schedule on the, on the board for the next few weeks. And you know that uh, starting kind of probably next Sunday and through the end of the month, you know that, that those people are going to be joining us, right? You're, you're aware of that, aren't you? You know, th- those folks, they, they come on like Christmas and they come on Easter. You know, those people, and pastors would like to call them Christers. You know, they kind of come twice a year. And I just, I just want to remind you, you know, that those people are going to be with us, and we kind of need to be nice to them. So little greeting hints, you could say, like, maybe nice to, you know, good to see you. You know, we do this more than twice a year. It might be something you would maybe want to say to them or uh, introduce yourself to them again for maybe the 12th or 13th year in a row. You know, something kind of kind and, and nice like that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's those people. So let's just try to remember to, to be nice, Okay. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of God. Some of you are very uncomfortable right now. All that I said was to set up what I'm going to do today. So if you're visiting Green Tree, I'm not a complete idiot. So I just said, <laughs> partial idiot, not a complete idiot. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab. The only thing I can figure there is that Ram was upset about his name, so he gave an even worse name to his son, being Amminadab. Amminadab was not in a good mood, so he became the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father God, we are so tempted to judge others and ignore our own sin. Father, we are so quick to excuse our attitude and condemn the attitude of others simply because they are different. They don't follow the same practices that we do, and in some way we find them lacking. It's easy for us to be critical. Father, as we look at our spiritual family tree for the next few weeks, as we come to this time of Advent, as we remember the coming of the Lord Jesus, and we think about our spiritual heritage, our spiritual lineage, Father, I pray that you would use these scriptures to open our hearts and our minds to the truth. The truth is is that every one of us needs a Savior. Every one of us stands in need of your grace and your mercy and your compassion. So, Father, I pray this morning that as we look at uh, two of the names in this genealogy, that you would teach us about your heart, that you would instruct us in your compassion, not just so that we will understand it, but rather, Father, that your Spirit would then apply it to our lives. And that there really would be no room in our hearts for anything other than humble thankfulness and for a welcoming spirit and for a kind heart. Lord Jesus, I can't begin to instruct us in these things. If we don't hear your teaching, we have wasted our time this morning. So we pray that you would come and open our hearts and minds. Forgive me my sin, don't let me stand in the way 
of what you want to teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at two names out of this passage this morning. And I want, to kind of, I want you to kind of keep in the back of your mind that, that notion of those people, of, of those folks. We're actually going to look at, at two of the three names in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus that are women. There are only three women's names that are given in this entire genealogy. Tamar is the first one, which we've mentioned, and then Rahab and Ruth. And we're going to spend some time looking at Rahab and Ruth because they represent uh, both the enemies of God as well as immigrants, as well as outsiders, those who, who aren't naturally part of the family. In doing that, let me give you the, uh, the sermon in a sentence this morning. Hopefully what we'll discover from God's word is that the human lineage of our Lord Jesus teaches us the unconditional love of God is limitless and without prejudice. The application, therefore, is that our hearts need to be more in tune with our Heavenly Father's hearts and less in tune with the brokenness of this world. So we're going to jump in. We're going to look at Rahab, and we're going to go through some passages in Joshua. Uh, I've shortened them. I've condensed them. I've abbreviated them because both of these stories are several chapters long, the story of Rahab and the story of Ruth. So I've really kind of squished it down for your, uh, for, you, for your being able to follow this morning. But basically, if you want to read the story of Rahab, you can find that in Joshua chapter 2 through Joshua chapter 6. And clearly, if you want to read Ruth's story, you can read that in its entirety in the book that's named for her, the book of Ruth. But let's talk about the enemies of God for just a minute. Let's talk about Rahab. Now, this story takes place in the life of Israel after they've crossed over into the Jordan. The exodus is now behind them. They've left Egypt. The desert wandering for 40 years is over, and God has now instructed Joshua and the people of Israel to go and take possession of the land. So we are on the, on the eve of the first battle to take the land, which is going to be the battle of Jericho. And what happens before the battle is that Joshua sends two men as spies. He said, go and view the land, especially Jericho. So look at the surrounding area, but in particular, make sure you look at this city, this first city we want to conquer. So they went and they came into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. It was told to the king of Jericho, and then he sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to your house. But the woman who had hidden the two men said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, and you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the, inside the stalks of flax. <clears throat> so the men pursued them as far as the fords of the Jordan. So what we have here is the, the, the enemy of the people of Israel turning into a friend. You have the, this woman Rahab, who's, who's a woman of ill repute, and she is an enemy of the nation of Israel. This is a, a town where they're going to conquer, and she's on the other side of the equation. She's one who would probably be a person who would say, I really hope our army is better than theirs. I hope that, that we defend our city well and that we, we get rid of, rid of these invading, uh, invading Israelites. And she's a woman of a tarnished reputation. It's interesting that, that Joshua's uh, historical narrative here just points that right out. And it comes up a couple of different times. As I said, I've condensed it a little bit. But a couple of different times, she's identified as a prostitute. 
She's a woman of a tarnished reputation. And yet if you look at her actions in this story, they're anything but evil. They're anything but tarnished. In fact, they would reflect the notion that she is a person of faith. That she actually believes in the God of Israel and and the actions of her life, again, albeit kind of behind the scenes and in a secretive way because she has to be secretive for fear of her own life. She kind of looks at the situation and says, the God of Israel must be the real God. And so she ends up helping the spies and caring for the spies. Someone you would never expect to do a deed of this kind. I heard a story of last summer in June. A man named Bryant Collins, who's an auto repair guy in his 50s, he lives uh, north of Atlanta, kind of in the rural part of Georgia, and he was driving to a remote location to take care of a call they had gotten to fix a car when he saw something on the side of the highway, and it kind of caught his attention. So he pulled over, and he backed up, and got out of his car, and as he looked over, there was what turned out to be an 18-month-old little girl who was kind of barely walking and crawling a little bit as she was headed up to the freeway. Somehow she had gotten away from the house in which she lived, just a couple of blocks away, and was wandering up to the freeway. And he, and he snatched her up in his arms, and he called 911. And the police came, and it, it literally took them five hours to figure out where she was from, who her parents were, and to, and to get her back safely home, and then to ask her mom and dad some pretty serious questions. But during that time, uh, Bryant Collins held her in his arms. He wouldn't let her go. He said, I'm going to hold her until we find out where she belongs. Oh, and I failed to mention that prior to that event, about five years before that, Brian Collins had just gotten out of a federal penitentiary for serving 10 years for distribution of cocaine. You know, one of those people. One of those folks that we don't want to rub shoulders with. One of those folks where the edges are just a little too messy for this. And here's Rahab, prostitute. No one of fine standing would ever enter her house, would ever sit down to have a meal with her, would never give her the time of day for fear that, that my reputation perhaps would be tarnished just by being seen in the same proximity. And yet, as it turns out, Bryant Collins was God's tool to use on that particular day to save that child. He actually said when they interviewed him later, they, they said, you know, how was she for those few hours? And he said, well, she would get agitated, but I'd take my phone out and I would play gospel music for her because gospel music always calms me down, and I figured it would do the same for her. Here's Rahab, a woman that, that you would cross over on the other side of the street, one of those people, and yet she has demonstrated a godly character that sometimes puts some of us who say we believe in God to shame, and she ends up being God's chosen instrument of salvation. If we could go to the next slide. So, what happens? Then she let them down by a rope through the window, and they departed and hid in the hills for three days until their pursuers returned after finding nothing. Then the two spies returned to Joshua and told them all that had happened. What happens is that she's an enemy that turns to a friend. She actually demonstrates godly character, and she ends up being God's chosen instrument for salvation for those two spies. She keeps them safe. She feeds them, and she sends them on their way. And this woman that would, we would note as one of those folks actually ends up being God's chosen instrument to bring about his purpose of salvation. 
She also finds her place in the history books. Later on in Joshua chapter 6, towards the end of the book, says this. Oops, sorry. I've got that in my Bible. Let me just tell you what it says. And Rahab lives in Israel down to this very day. So the person who was writing uh, the book of Joshua says that she's still alive today. She's, she's earned her place in the annals of history. But even more so than that, she becomes someone significant in the line of Jesus. If we could skip ahead to the Matthew passage, thank you. And Rahab goes from being one of those people with whom you and I would, would not speak and would not entertain and would, would not, you know, we would, we would stay away. She ends up becoming the mother of kings. And I take you back to the passage we read this morning. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Why? Because we have Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of who? David, the king. And then a verse we will read later on. We'll actually read each Sunday. Verse 16 of Matthew's gospel. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. You see, God is in the business of turning enemies into friends. God is in the business of ignoring tarnished reputations, not that he excuses sin, but rather he sees the person's need. He sees the person's heart and he sees the person's soul, just like he sees yours and mine this morning, and he sees something that needs saving. And he doesn't let things like our preconceived notions or our self-righteousness or our judgmental attitude get in the way of that salvation. And we should praise God for that because if it wasn't for Rahab, none of us would be here hearing the gospel this morning. We would be lost. Thank goodness for one of those people. But there's another one of those folks, not an enemy of God, but rather a woman who's caught in a situation where she becomes an immigrant. And I'm referring now to Ruth. And I want to look at at Ruth's story very briefly this morning. Uh, We could spend a year in the book of Ruth, and I'm going to really condense the story down. But the introduction of the story goes something like this. There was a famine in the land. That's the, the land of Israel, okay? And there was a man from Bethlehem, and his name was Elimelech. And along with his wife, Naomi, and two sons, they went to live in the country of Moab uh, because they heard that there was was food over in Moab. As the years go by, Elimelech died in Moab, and Naomi's sons married Moabite women named Orpha and Ruth. After 10 years living in Moab, both Naomi's sons died, leaving Naomi without a husband and without sons. Now, again, without going into a ton of detail, There's so much wrong with this introduction in in the choices that are made that it almost uh, defies understanding. I've simply underlined three words to help us get the picture. The first word I underline is Bethlehem because in the Hebrew, Bethlehem means house of bread. It means the place where God will provide nourishment for his family. And so Elimelech is living in in the very city that is named after the faithfulness of God. And you think back to the manna in the wilderness. And you think back to to the water that God provided as the the people of Israel came out of Egypt. You think of the way in which God provided salvation to bring his people out of Egypt in a miraculous way. And this is simply a generation and a half 
removed from all of those events. It would be like you and I to- totally ignoring what happened in the Second World War and living as if that, those battles were never fought and that those sacrifices didn't mean anything. They were that close, historically speaking. And Elimelech, who, who has learned from a young child the glorious provision of God, panics. There's a famine in the land. He says, I better come up with a solution. Instead of saying, well, you know, God provides. Actually, I live in a town named God provides. Maybe I, should, maybe I should pray. Maybe I should seek him out. There's so much wrong with Elimelech's decision. And then he decides to go to Moab, the, the enemies of God. He goes to a pagan nation looking for help. He goes to people who reject God of Israel. He says, I I come from the place where the God of Israel promises to provide. Things are a little rough right now, so I'm going to trust you guys. Can I get some food? The decision-making paradigm of Elimelech is, uh, is, is pretty scary. But notice also that they don't just settle down temporarily. They take up life there. And after 10 years of living in Moab, being influenced by that culture, being alienated from the people of Israel and the God of Israel, Ruth, uh, excuse me, Naomi loses her husband and both her sons. But, but what I want to point out here is that they settle down. They, they don't go and get temporary help and then go back and say, oh, boy, that, that might not have been the right decision, right? They settle down and they say, this is where we're going to identify our family life together. I have a sister who lives in Detroit. Now, having a sister that lives in Detroit is not necessarily a bad thing. It probably is for her in the wintertime because she has a little bit worse winters than us. But my sister has become a Detroit Red Wings fan. Yeah. In fact, that wasn't quite a good enough reaction. Let me try again. My sister has become a Detroit Red Wings fan. Oh, thank you. So, Cappy, if you're listening to this later on the podcast, nobody here likes you anymore. Uh, she settled down there. She's become one of them. Now, that's fun to tease about, and we, we have fun. She has fun during playoffs, so I haven't had much fun lately. But, but the point being is that, that she's kind of gone over to the other side, and here's Elimelech who knows better. He, like I said, this is a generation after removed from the amazing events of the people of Israel coming up out of the land of Egypt. And yet we see that God does not abandon his plan of salvation, even when we disobey. Let's go a little bit further into into Ruth chapter 1. Naomi heard in Moab that God had provided food in Israel. So she prepared to return. But she says to Orpha and Ruth, go and return each of you to your mother's house. And there's a lot more to that part of the story. But basically, Naomi says, "I, I can't guarantee that I can take care of you. Your family's here. So she does the gracious thing. She actually does the compassionate thing, and she lets the daughter-in-laws off the hook. She says, don't worry about me. You just go back to your families, and it will be okay. But Ruth clung to Naomi and said, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Maybe you've heard that at a wedding before. Sometimes those verses are used at weddings. And then she takes an oath upon herself and says, may the Lord deal with me severely if anything from death separates me from you. So here we have Ruth, an idol-worshiping foreigner from Moab who refused to abandon her mother-in-law at her time of her deepest peril. Even though it meant leaving her own home, it meant leaving her own culture, her own people, everything she knew about life in order to simply do one thing, to remain faithful to her mother-in-law. 
And in, in essence, Ruth, who is one of those people, by the way, she, she's not of the nation of Israel. She's one of those folks that we kind of we keep our distance. She's a pagan. She doesn't worship God the right way. And yet she has a character about her that will not let her, it won't allow her to let her mother go off, mother-in-law go off and, and try to make her way. Ruth basically says, you know what, Mom? We might both die in the process, but you at least won't die alone. There'll at least be somebody with you. But I want you to see in this passage that if Ruth is faithful, which she clearly is, how much more faithful is God? And in Ruth chapter 2, as the scene begins to unfold, we find Ruth and Naomi now literally uh, knocked down to the lowest poverty level possible. They, they, they're basically homeless folks. They, they have a little place to stay, but they basically have nothing. And we find this out because Ruth goes into the fields to glean. And, and what this is basically is if this room represented an acre of ground in the nation of Israel, that was uh, where we plant a corn or wheat or whatever, and everybody's in a chair, you're on the inside of the field, all of that would be harvested by the farmer, by the person who owned the property. But these outside edges around the sides and around the back and front, they would be left for the poorest of the poor. And God gave this commandment to the people of Israel and said, leave the outer edges so those that have nothing can have something. So we have to be clear. Here's where we find Ruth and Naomi. They have nothing. Ruth goes to glean in the field, and she happened to glean in a field belonging to a guy named Boaz. And Boaz comes to the field, and he sees what's going on. He talks to his young men. He finds out about Ruth, and he goes up to Ruth, and he starts a conversation. And Boaz, who's talking to a complete stranger, a complete foreigner, someone of whom he has no obligation to, to care for, and he says, stay and glean in my field. Stay close to my young men. I have charged them not to touch you. They will give you water when you are thirsty. And at mealtime, Boaz gave her bread, and she ate, and she was satisfied. Boaz provides a safety net for Ruth. Again, the poorest among us are what? They're the most vulnerable, are they not? The poorest among us are the ones that, that don't have uh, you know, access to all of the things that folks of wealth can gain access to, whether it's in our legal system or in our economic system. And here, here are two helpless women, and Ruth in particular, who puts herself out there. She's a young woman. And apparently, according to the book of Ruth, she's attractive. And it would be easy for her to be taken advantage of by somebody like Boaz. And quite frankly, if Boaz had taken advantage of her, nobody would have ever known the difference and nobody would have cared. You never would have heard that Boaz went to jail for what he did to Ruth. And yet here is God caring for one who has been faithful. He provides safety for her, but he also provides more. Boaz told his men, I should have put a parenthesis there, uh, uh, quotation marks, let her glean among the sheaves. In other words, right in the middle of the field. And do not reproach her. Also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. When Ruth returned home, Naomi said, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. That sounds really, really kind of, you know, a little bit stoic on paper. But Naomi probably fell over when Ruth walked in the door. She's got a huge bundle of food. Naomi's hoping she comes back with enough food for dinner. I remember one time we had some uh, kids over at our house who played football at Kirkwood High School. And um, they did some work for us to earn money to go to football camp. 
one summer. And it was $100 a piece, and we had two kids. And um, I said, Cindy, she said, we want to help them. I said, yeah, bring them over. We'll do some work. So they worked for us. And at lunchtime, Cindy said, go get some food for them. So I got their uh, orders from them from McDonald's, and, and there were two of them. And one of them was like three Big Macs and four, you know, fries. And this one was six cheeseburgers and, you know, and high school guys. And, but I was even going, that's, pr- that's pretty impressive. That's pretty cool. You can eat that much. And, and I brought it home. We sat around the picnic table in the backyard, and they ate half of it. And they put half of it away. And I pulled Cindy aside later and said, what's the deal with that? She goes, well, they don't know what they're going to have dinner tonight. So they were too embarrassed to tell you guys. So you bought them two meals. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little teary over that. A little ashamed about that. Now, I understand there's a lot of side issues that go on with poverty, brothers and sisters. But you got to understand what Naomi's saying here. She's saying, oh, my gosh, what on earth has happened? How has God provided this miracle? Literally a miracle. She was hoping for dinner and maybe a little bit of leftover for breakfast, enough to live to the next day, and God gave them enough for a month or more. Because in God's faithfulness, he not only provided for her safety, but he provided for them them in abundance. And you know, there, there are some times when God works even when we disobey, right? Elimelech made bad choices. There's nothing real positive we can say about Elimelech other than he passed away and got out of the way. And if that's the best that can be said, that's not real great. But God also works through our obedience, brothers and sisters. God delights to work through our obedience. God takes great joy when we look a little bit more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. And there's a little more compassion in our hearts. And there's a little bit less of those people attitude in our minds and in our souls. So here is God providing his faithfulness so outstrips Ruth's faithfulness that it's a glorious, glorious story. But Ruth was trying to honor her mother-in-law and what she knew of her mother-in-law's gods and her actions, and God cared for her in the process. Let me show you where this story goes. In Ruth chapter 3, a little bit later on, Ruth comes to Boaz at night, and she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. In other words, Ruth says, if you're willing to have me, I'm willing to become your wife. Ruth actually proposes to Boaz, which is real cool. Any women here propose to their husband? Anybody be willing to share if they actually did that? I don't know if anybody did that. Oh, I saw one hand. Okay. Sean, what is wrong with you? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. That was so bad. Way to go, Patty. Good job. I'm not supposed to use names like that, okay? Sermon 101. So Ruth goes and she proposes to Boaz. And Boaz replies, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. And all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. You see, what actually has happened is Naomi is the one who is saved and blessed in this story, not just Ruth. Naomi is actually saved and actually restored by God's use of Boaz and Ruth's relationship. I want to take you back for a second to the story about Bryant Collins and and saving the little little baby that was wandering up to the highway. And the interviewer asked him, you know, a couple of questions, and and she starts out and said, what did you see? And he said, well, I saw a baby crawling up towards the highway. And she said, and then what did you do? Go back to journalism school. I mean, it's, you know, that just isn't the greatest question in the world. And he, and he looks at her, he kind of scratches his head, and he said, what did I do? I got her out of harm's way. 
I did the natural thing that needed to be done. And this is the, the picture of Boaz and Ruth. I think if you said, Boaz, that's really amazing what you did. Ruth, that's really incredible that, that you stayed with, with your mother-in-law in that situation. I think they would both say, I'm, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I, I did what I was supposed to do. I, I did that which would honor God. I, I did that hopefully which is what any other person would do. I think we would hear a sense of humility and even maybe a bit of a surprise. But God is blessing and saving Naomi through the works of Boaz and Ruth. So here's a statement you don't hear every day. Salvation is found in Moab. <laughs> That's not something you hear every day. In fact, I bet you've never heard that sermon preached in your life because Moab was those folks. And yet God plucked one of those folks out. Why? Because God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of salvation. And God's grace to Rahab, who was an enemy, and Ruth, who was an immigrant, should lead us to ask the question, is God being gracious at Green Tree Community Church? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. People are sitting in this room who have come to salvation in Christ through the ministry and work of Green Tree Community Church. God is growing his kingdom in us, and he's growing his kingdom through us. But there, there's another question that remains. Go on to that next slide if you don't mind. Boaz said to all the elders, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, also Ruth the Moabite, the, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. And I think there may be one other slide. Yep, let's leave it there for just a second. I'll come back to that in a second. So what we see here is that God is working through the obedience both of Boaz and of Ruth. And that's the, one of the application questions we ask for ourselves this morning. Does, does, is God's spirit at Green Tree? Yes. But, but who is it touching? Where is our heart and our attitude towards those folks? Towards, towards people that maybe don't know Christ yet? To maybe people that are estranged from the kingdom of God? Do we sit in self-righteous judgment? Or does our heart break and long to be used by God to care for others. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. The Lord gave her conception, she bore a son. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to who? To Naomi. I love the way they, they paint the broad brush stroke there and bring it back to Naomi. They named his name Obed. He was the father of Jesse, father of David. And as we said before, who you follow that down and you track it for several generations. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. The passage at the beginning of the sermon, in the sentence at the beginning, we said this. Go on to that next slide, please. Jesus' human lineage teaches us the unconditional love of God is limitless and without prejudice. See, the human lineage of Jesus teaches us that the unconditional love of God is for those people. Gossips, alcoholics, sex addicts, the greedy, the irreverent, the arrogant, and the malicious. In other words, God's grace and mercy is for us. God's love is not the question. The question is ours. Will you pray with me? I'm going to just give us a moment of silent prayer and ask you to consider this morning 
the love that God has poured out into your heart if you're a disciple of Jesus. And if that's the case, then perhaps ask him to uh, use these next few days and weeks as we go into Christmas to use you as a vessel of that love for those folks, whoever they may be. Let's just take a moment for silent prayer. Father, I thank you for your limitless grace, mercy, and love. Forgive me, Father, when I say I appreciate that, I say I'm thankful for that, and yet my life does not reflect anything other than self-righteousness or arrogance or being judgmental or condescending towards others. Father, we, we can claim to know you and yet not look anything like you. And I know, Father, our salvation is being worked out in our lives and our growth in Christ happens incrementally over the years. But, Father, I pray that you would give us a spirit of, of grace, a spirit of, of hospitality and welcoming, a spirit of actually going out and welcoming others. We don't even have to wait till they show up at Green Tree, Lord, but that we would be used by you to show your limitless love knows no boundaries. It's without any prejudice at all. Father, think of the songs we've sung this morning. Joyful, we adore thee. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Father, may that not just be uh, words on our lips as we sing, but it, may it be the lives that we live for your glory and so that others would know Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.